Let me pray with you, and we'll get rolling here today. Uh, Heavenly Father, again, I just thank you, uh, Lord, for the privilege of serving at Genesis Church, and I uh, just am in awe of the work that you're doing in my life and in the life uh, lives of the people of this church and, and in this community, God. And uh, man, our, our faith, Lord, is in you, and we are trusting in you uh, for all things. And the wonderful things that you've already done and, and those that are ahead of us, Lord, uh, we just want to keep our eyes, as we've been singing, Lord, uh, completely focused on you, trusting in you for all things. And uh, we pray now for your presence. Uh, that you would come, that you would open the doors of our heart and our minds, that we would listen, that we would hear, Lord, um, that we would respond. And, and I pray that. I pray that in the name and the power of your Spirit, God, that as we walk out of here today, that there would be some activity and response in our life, Lord, as we continue to, uh, to allow you to change us. And uh, we pray this uh, in, in your name. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, have, have you noticed how... Um, the word busy is really the new word uh, for fine. And, and here's what I mean by this. Let me tell you, what, uh, just kind of help you understand what I mean when I'm saying something. I mean, it used to be that you, when you ask someone, hey, how are you doing? Well, the common response was to hear them say, well, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. And, and it was sort of just kind of a reactionary, kind of an automatic response. I mean, we all do that from time to time. Chances are you might have responded in some way like that today. And, and, and it may not have been accurate, but we know that it was polite. And, and again, people just kind of know what you mean. But today, in fact, I, I think if you would just suppose that if you were to go around and maybe to ask 10 people, uh, 10 people that you had some maybe level of relationship with, you know, ask them, how are you doing? Well, instead of hearing them say, fine, I wonder if maybe more like seven or eight times out of 10, you would instead hear them say, busy, right? Oh, yeah, I'm busy. I mean, you know, we're in a really busy season right now where it's it's crazy busy right now, uh, just trying to get through the week, just trying to get through the month, just trying to keep up with everything. Life is really, really busy. How many of you feel pretty busy right now, uh, especially maybe if you're Noblesville folk uh, with school getting started this past week and Fisher's coming up in Westfield and everybody else? I mean, we feel busy. And uh, maybe you're in a busy season at your work right now. If you work, you know that work is busy. And well, we're busy people. I mean, parents with high school students are busy. Parents with middle school students are busy. Parents with two-year-olds are really, really busy. Uh, single adults are busy. Retired people are busy. College students are busy. And Walmart is always busy, right? I mean, it doesn't matter when you go there. You can go in the middle of the night, and it's going to be really busy. But you know what? I think we're busy uh, but more often than not, I think there's a certain status attached uh, at times to our busyness. I mean, it's like busy proves that we're somebody or uh, that our lives are important. I mean, ever notice how when you ask someone for a favor or maybe somebody asks you for a favor, I mean, think about all the times that when you ask someone for a favor, you start off that request with a, hey, I know you're really busy but I want to know if you might be willing to help me with something. It's a way of recognizing someone's importance, acknowledging how busy they really are. But here's what I think. I think our busyness has become our idol. Um, I think it's our idolatry, uh, especially here in the suburbs, especially in a place like Hamilton County. I mean, it's idolatry. And, and what's idolatry, you might ask? Well, idolatry is anything that we allow, anything that we permit to take the center or the lead in our life. It's anything that we allow 
uh, anything other than God to call the shots or to set the direction of our lives and how we live them. And for many of us, busyness is our idol. Now, maybe you'd say you agree. Maybe you wouldn't. But whether you agree or not with a statement like that, I mean, the truth is that we're always looking for more time. Uh, Every single one of us, we're always looking for more time. We're trying to make room for life, and we're always thinking, we find ourselves thinking, you know what, if I only had a little bit more time. Now, here's what I mean by this. You could say uh, that there are at least three universal truths about our time or about your time, uh, that no matter who you are, uh, these truths uh, apply, are true uh, for about every single one of us. The first truth about our time is this, that your time and my time is limited. It's just true. It's just the facts. I mean, we all have seven days a week. We all have 24 hours a day. I mean, our time is limited. Even David, if you're a Christian, even David in the Bible said, you know, all the days of my life you've ordained for me, that our life on this earth, well, if you're a Christian, you know, we believe that we have a limited amount of time, and so our time is limited. But the second truth, the second universal truth about our time is that you will, I will spend all of our time doing something. You're going to spend your life sleeping. You're going to spend your life working or driving or eating or mowing or sitting in church or cleaning or watching TV or looking at your smartphone. I mean, all of it, all of the days of our life, all of our time will be spent Uh, In the very end, and the third truth about our time is that someone will determine how you spend your time. Now, this is the part that I think that so many of us miss because when we're not just incessantly intentional about how we spend our time, we let someone else decide how to spend it for us. And and let me kind of show you and demonstrate what I mean by this. I'm not doing a cooking show today here. I'm not going to show you how to make tuna casserole uh, or anything like this. And and from what I understand, our Gen Kids ministry did a lesson like this uh, just not too long ago. So I think if it works for Gen Kids, uh, maybe it works for us uh, too. But I want you to imagine for a moment that this glass container uh, represents your life. Uh, It represents your day. It represents, you know, the 24 hours that you have each day, the seven days a week uh, that you have, that I have. This glass uh, container, we'll say, uh, represents our time. And what I want to say next is that we're going to pretend like these objects uh, represent what's most important to you. And uh, they represent your priorities. And so we all have our relationships. Uh, Maybe you've got a job or school that you're a part of. It's your church. Uh, your relationship with God. Uh, Again, it's time with friends. And so we've got all of these things. We've got all of these priorities, uh, these ways that we use our time. Now, let's suppose that these grains of rice represent the minutes of our day. And uh, these are the things in your life uh, that matter to some degree. Uh, They may not be the most important things, but uh, these are the things that by the end of the week, you know, we just kind of look back and, and maybe when you ask, you know, where did all the time go? Well, it's this stuff. All right, it's the rice, and again, uh, it's the errands that we run, it's the things that we cram into our schedule, it's the naps, it's the sleeping, uh, it's the getting the kids to practice, it's uh, getting them off to school, it's uh, catching up with an old friend, it's Facebook and Twitter, and Facebook and Twitter, and well, maybe some more Facebook and Twitter and the time that we spend on our phones. And, and again, this is a time that we look back and we say, you know, where did it all go? And, and while some of it's useful and some of it's valuable and some of it's important, we also know that it's the ways that we waste our time. And so it's Facebook and Twitter 
and Facebook and Twitter and, and our phones and, and, and all that good stuff. And so, so often this is what happens in our lives. We, we find that we only have so much time and we don't know where so much of it goes, but then when you add to all of these minutes and all of these hours and all of these days of our weeks, well, then come the priorities. And so we start looking to try and fit in those things that we would say, hey, these are really important, okay? This is the time that I spend with my wife or my husband, or this is the time that I spend on that special project at work, or we're traveling and we've got kids in baseball and we've got kids in soccer and we've got another semester before us and I'm trying trying to double major, and so I'm trying to do all of these things, and so often what we find is that it doesn't really all fit, and it doesn't all work, and when we discover that it's not working or that it doesn't all fit, well, well, then we find ourselves in a hurry, and we're trying to make up more time, and we're trying to make more time, and we realize that the jar's not big enough, and we don't have enough time, and we kind of catch ourselves wondering, okay, how do I make more time, or how can I get a bigger jar? But we know that that's not possible, and that's not going to happen. And so what I want to talk with you about today and even in the coming weeks isn't so much about how to make a bigger jar or how to find more minutes in your day, but maybe maybe something else. Over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to talk about uh, what I think, what I believe should be the most important priorities uh, in your life. And most importantly today, I want to talk to you about what I believe should be Uh, If you would say you're a Christian, the most important priority in your life, and that priority is what we're going to call your relationship with God, that your relationship with God, that my relationship with God is the most important priority in my life. And the question that I want us to ask is what would happen, again, if this life, if this jar, if this vase represents your life or my my life, what would happen if we would say that, you know what, my relationship with God is going to come first? And it's not my only priority, but it comes first before anything else. And the way that I spend my time and the focus of my heart and the things that I think about, that it's all going to begin with Him and that everything else we're just going to trust and believe will fall into its rightful place. We're going to look at the life of uh, an example of Jesus these next four weeks because uh, He got this right. This is the way that Jesus lived his life. His relationship with God was first and foremost the most important thing. And I also like to believe that Jesus knew a thing or two about making room for life. And here's what Jesus wants for you and me. See, Jesus has this vision for our lives, for your life and my life, where we are fully alive and and fully human and, and truly satisfied. And Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, I have come that they may have life. Let's make it very personal. Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life. And Jesus says, and to have it to the full. See, Jesus was fully God, right? But he was also fully human. And so by studying his life, we can learn not only how to find our way back to God, but also how to make room for life in this crazy, busy world of ours. Hey, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, turn to Luke chapter 2, if you would. 
Uh, go to the New Testament, uh, to the third book uh, in the New Testament, the third gospel, the book of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in, in verse 41. We've got some Bibles that are here in this room. Uh, you might find one that's near you, and you can have it. If you don't have a Bible, it's, a, it's our gift uh, to you. Maybe you use something like the Version app on your phone. We'd invite you to go with, there with us. Uh, we'll also have the verses for you on the screen. But in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 41, uh, we find Jesus. And uh, from the time that Jesus was born, just a little side note here, until he was 30, uh, going to the River Jordan to be baptized, there is just one story about his life recorded in the entire Bible, just one. And that's what we pick up here in Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 41. <clears throat> Thanks, buddy. Uh, let's pick it up together. Luke 2, uh, starting in verse 41. It says, every year, uh, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom, and after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. See, Jesus and his parents and his family, excuse me, had been to this uh, great religious festival, this annual festival in Jerusalem, and now they're heading back home. Now, when families traveled like this in this day, they would often travel in large numbers, all right? They would travel as a large caravan, that these extended families, whether by the, the you know, the tens or the hundreds, they, they would travel together uh, as a large group of people in a large caravan, and they did this out of convenience, uh, but more than that, they traveled this way out of safety too, all right, as they're traveling in the wilderness. Well, Mary and Joseph, think that Jesus is somewhere in the caravan uh, with extended members uh, of their family, maybe the cousins. In fact, they traveled for a whole day before they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. And when they realize that he's missing, they start looking for him, and they can't find him anywhere. And so get this, they looked for him for three days. And after their, their frantic searching, uh, found nothing, th th this searching for Jesus eventually took them all the way back to Jerusalem. Pick it up in verse 46. It says, after three days, they found him back in Jerusalem in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Uh, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, if, you, if you're a parent, all right, especially if you're Mary and Joseph, I mean, how are you going to react, you know, in a situation like this? I mean, if you've ever lost a child uh, in a store or maybe a crowded event or something, I mean, even if it was for a brief moment, uh, you know the feeling of relief uh, well, when you finally find them. Well, look at verse 48. It says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And so there was this moment of relief, but then a moment of frustration uh, and anger that followed. I mean, do you blame them? I mean, you and I, I think we'd respond in that same way. But then look at how Jesus responds. And his answer is so good and so key to what we're talking about today. Verse 49, Jesus asked them, why were you searching for me? He asked. And here's, here's what I want you to see. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? See, this is so important. And Jesus' reply is so telling because he is saying something about how he is going to live his life. That even at the age of 12, middle schoolers, he's making a huge statement 
about what is most important to him, the most important priority in his life. You see, everybody else had come to Jerusalem for this large religious festival called Passover. And, and the people had come from all over, and there were all of these rituals and sacrifices and festive meals. But when it was over, they all went home, but not Jesus. He's not done at the temple just because the party's over. He's still at the temple. And at this point in history, you know, the temple was the closest place that you could go to be in the presence of God. And so Jesus is at the temple, and he's growing in his faith, and he's listening to the teachers, and he's asking questions, and he's answering questions himself, and he's growing in his relationship with God. And here's something that's really pretty interesting. Jesus' first recorded words in Scripture talk about the necessity that he felt to be in his Father's house to be in His Father's presence, that even as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus is not only making room for life, but He is establishing the purpose and the meaning of His life. He's letting us see what would be most, the most important priority for Him. And from this point forward, it's, nothing's going to change. And I mean, and there are some instances of, of Jesus, uh, multiple instances of Jesus doing the same sort of thing, that he's living this out even as he becomes a man and begins his ministry. Look at a, a few of these examples uh, here, Luke four sixteen. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue as, a synagogue as was his custom. Look at Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 35. Notice that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Uh, Matthew 14, 23, it says, After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray, and later that night he was there alone. See, making room for God was the most important thing, the most important priority for Jesus. He, he didn't let the other things of life, the other demands, the other priorities get in the way or take the place of his relationship with God. And before you would say or I would say that it was a different time and a different place and, and Jesus wasn't busy, he wasn't nearly as busy as we are today. I mean, think about all the times, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people came vying for his attention. I mean, read through the Gospels, you know, and see for yourself over and over again the crowds of people that are just trying to get close to him and they all wanted something from him. And there were all these demands on Jesus and for his time and so much resistance that he came up against too. Yet from the age of 12, we get a glimpse of what was most important to him. And for Jesus, what was most important to him was his relationship with God. And Jesus with his life and with his day and with his moments and with his practices said, my relationship with God is going to come first. It is the most important priority in my life. So what's that have to do with you and me? What's this look like for us in our life, you know, to live a life like this, you know? I mean, to have a rich, full life that Jesus talks about, the verse that we looked at just a moment ago, the, the kind of life that Jesus wants you and I to have, the kind of life that He had, to live life and to live it to the fullest, you know? To get a life like that, we need to look to Jesus we need to get into this practice of looking to Him as our example. We need to live our life like Jesus did. And what did Jesus do that we should do? Well, it's in your notes uh, if you're following along. Just some thoughts for you when it comes to making room for life. Um, I, I think it starts, it begins with putting God first. For you and me, 
that we need to set our hearts and set our minds on putting God first in anything and everything that we do. And what I want to challenge you with today is to make your relationship with God, to make your relationship with Jesus the most important thing uh, in your life. And And if you're a Christian, uh, your relationship with God is the most important relationship that you have. And that speaks to the very heart of Christianity too, especially uh, to those of you that are here today and you would say that, you know what, I'm not a Christian and I'm just checking it out. Um, So often uh, we make Christianity about rules and and religion and, and Sundays, but the heart of Christianity is about a relationship with God. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the very one who makes that relationship with God possible. Here's my prayer and and my hope for each of you. I I want others around you and in your life to know that your relationship with God is the most important thing to you, that He is your most important priority, that God is the most important relationship to you. And that means that He comes before your marriage. Uh, That means that it comes before your kids. It's more important than uh, your final year of college right now or the big project uh, before you at work. Now, am I saying that uh, these priorities, these other things uh, aren't important or that we should neglect them in any way? No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that as we make Jesus Christ, as we make our relationship with God the very center of our life, what happens is often what we find is that everything else tends to uh, start uh, finding their most appropriate place. And that when our relationship with God is at the very center, everything else uh, seems to find its rightful place. And the way we respond and the way that we find ourselves acting in these relationships and at work and at school seem to come together as God, as Jesus, as the Holy Spirit is influencing us uh, in all of these different ways. But this isn't going to just happen. Um, there are intentional things that I think that we need to do, and, and often what we find is that we need a conscious plan to keep God first, that it's not just going to happen. And, and so we need to be intentional about keeping God at the very center of what we do. And so here's a second challenge for you. Uh, we've talked about this a lot lately, but I want to challenge you to set an appointment, uh, to set an appointment in your day, to schedule time every day to be alone with God, because you have to make the effort. Uh, and I've got to make the effort to do this. You have to schedule that time with God, because it's not going to happen. And I think the truth is that very few people uh, today, very few Christians have a plan for keeping God first. I mean, for most of us, we're just not intentional in this, but rather functional. Um, It's like what Peter Scazzaro says. He says, uh, for us as Christians, we're a lot like cars on autopilot, our crammed schedules, endless to-do lists, demanding jobs and families, constant noise, information bombardment, and anxieties keep us speeding up not slowing down. We have routines to manage the other parts of our lives. For example, each morning we may get up, feed the cat, uh, make coffee, exercise, get dressed for work, and eat breakfast. But when it comes to our spiritual life so often, when it comes to our relationship with God, you know what we do? We just kind of wing it. And we take it for granted. And sure, we might attend church each week, or we might spend a few weeks in a small group, or maybe serve once a month, but unfortunately, when it comes to a vibrant relationship with God, these efforts are only going to get us so far, and they're just not enough. I mean, these things are important, but when it comes to a growing relationship with God, a God who loves you and loves me, there can be and has to be so much more. See, here's the problem that I think so many of us have when it comes to our spiritual lives, Most Christians today can't feed themselves. 
And so what we do is we live off of the spirituality of other people, uh, other people around us, and, and we can't feed ourselves. And the tough, difficult truth is that it's not working, and in the long run, it's not very satisfying either. Uh, there was a story uh, that I came across that was in the Chicago Tribune a number of years back about a guy by the name of Robert Highland. And Robert Highland was the regional VP for CBS uh, and general manager of KMOX uh, in St. Louis. And uh, the Wall Street Journal once did a story on him where they called him the nation's most notorious workaholic. All right, now get this. Uh, listen to his schedule. The story went on to say that six days a week, he got up and started his day at 1 o'clock in the morning, 1 a.m., all right? That was the alarm time uh, in his house. And so he would get out of bed at 1 so that he could be at the office by 2 a.m., and then he would work until 6 o'clock at night. That's 96 hours a week, all right, if you didn't do the math. Uh, Anybody top that? Anybody except for moms of really young kids? Anybody got that beat? Probably not. But what's even more interesting uh, is that the way that this man used and scheduled his time, I mean, for starters, while he began his day at the office at 2, he left the office, get this, every morning at 6 a.m. and went to a nearby church where he would take one hour and he'd spend that time with God. And he'd spend time reading his Bible, and he'd spend time in prayer and journaling, time alone with the Lord. I mean, this was his day every day. He also said that he would go home, that he didn't miss dinner any night. He would spend the evening with his wife every night, and then he said every seventh day he wouldn't work at all. He'd take a full day off with absolutely no work. Now, here's my point. I'm not suggesting in any way that there is anything healthy about a -a 96-hour-a-week work schedule, no matter how you handle it. But my point is that we're all busy. Every single one of us, we're busy, and we've got all of these things and responsibilities. And when you add up all of the demands of your job or school or home and children and responsibilities of life and the unexpected things that come up, a lot of you here put in a -a 96-hour-a-week work week. And if a guy like Robert Hyland can set an appointment and keep that time with God every day, shouldn't we be able to do something like that too? And so if you're not already doing this, what I want to challenge you with today is I want to challenge you to schedule an appointment and spend time alone with the Lord every single day. I mean, even if it's 15 minutes a day as you're getting started and And if you can't do seven days a week, if that just seems like an impossibility to start, set a goal for six days a week or five days a week. I mean, come to church on Sundays and you get to take Sunday off, all right? You get a pass on Sundays. Now, for me personally, um, I believe the very best time to spend that time alone with the Lord is right when you get up. Uh, That's what is most beneficial uh, for me. That's the best for me. Maybe not for you, maybe not for all of us. Uh, But let me give you a couple of things that you might consider doing uh, as you set that appointment, as you spend time alone with the Lord. And I know many of you are probably already doing this, but one of those is to make time to read your Bible every day. And as a way of doing that, I I know on the one hand, you might think, well, I'll just turn to a random page each morning, but I'm not sure that's the best for us. There are plenty of Bible reading plans out there. And Maybe for you, maybe you'd make a commitment as you leave here today, say, you know, I'm going to read a book of the Bible and to read a chapter a day or to even for the next month say, you know, I'm going to read through the Proverbs and to read one chapter from the Proverbs uh, each day. If you've got a smartphone, if you use something like the YouVersion app, uh, it could be very helpful as there are all sorts of Bible reading.
reading plans, and even with your phone, it can help keep track of where you are, and you can set reminders that will remind you to read your Bible, and so you can read a book of the Bible, or again, it can take you through a seven-day plan or a 30-day plan. Again, there are hundreds of plans. version even has this really cool thing where they'll give you a verse of the day, and uh, so maybe for you as you get started, as you think about spending time alone with the Lord, uh, you would do something like that, but make time to read your Bible. I mean, the Bible is God's Word, and He gave us these words, and, and we need to take time to read His Word and, and to listen and to let the words of those pages speak to you and speak into your heart and into your circumstances. And, and as you do that, I want to share with you just a, a study technique uh, that I have found to be very helpful for me and can be very helpful for you uh, as you're getting started. And it's in your notes, and uh, as a way of remembering it, it's an acronym that's just simply the word SOAP. All right, and uh, we've got uh, those on the side screens here for you, but uh, S stands for Scripture, O stands for Observation, A stands for Application, and P stands for Prayer. And let me just kind of tell you how this works. What I've been doing right now in my appointment with God each day is reading through the book of Ephesians. And later on in September, we're going to do a, a sermon series here through the book of Ephesians and challenge each of us to read through Ephesians. So I'm getting a head start on that. And so right now I'm at a place where I'm just reading about a chapter a day over and over again through Ephesians. And what I do is I start reading is oftentimes I'll pray, even as I get started, and say, Lord, I know and I believe that this is your word and that you have something here for me today. And I'll just ask him, Lord, will, will you just allow something to pop today? just something to illuminate off of these pages, almost in a way that says, hey, spend time with this. And so the other day, just as a way of practicing this, the other day I was reading in Ephesians chapter 2, and I just really felt the Lord lead me to Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. And I think we've got this verse for you. Uh, Paul writes this, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So let me show you how you could use a verse like this, even in your appointment with God. I keep a little journal. I don't love journaling, but as a way of disciplining myself, I, I just keep pushing myself to journal each day, and I'm starting to, to see the benefits of that. But using the SOAP method, I'll take a verse like this, and the very first thing that I'll do in my journal, I know you can't see it here, is I write down the Scripture. And so I'll write that verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, at the very top of the page of my journal for that day. And then I'll just kind of sit on it for a moment. I mean, S, I guess, could also stand for sit on it, all right? So you sit on it for a bit, and it kind of leads into letter O, which just means to start observing. Okay, what do I see here? What's God want to speak into my life today? And maybe as you get better at this, as you spend more time in this, you'll start connecting it to some other things that you've already read. Again, what am I observing? Here's what I wrote under O for this day in my journal. I said, it's all grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. In love, God sent His Son Jesus into the world to give His life. He paid the penalty for sin and made a way for me to have a relationship with the Father. It was out of love that God sent Jesus, and He loves me more than I can imagine. This is what I observed. And then from there, I'll move into letter A, which is all about application. And that's where we start to look at it, and we hear it, and we listen to it, and we start asking, okay, what does this mean for today? What's God have for me? How does this become very personal for me? And here's what I wrote. That message has the power to not only change my life, but today. 
I'm free to live, free to live for Jesus. I can live with joy in my heart. I can tell the story of what Jesus is doing in my life. I can live boldly. I can find faith in the difficult times. I am reminded that He loves me, and not because of my performance, but because of Christ's performance. I don't obey so that He will love me, but because He loves me, I will obey, and I can live for Him. And then from there, I just move into letter P. And that's where I say, okay, from what I've seen and what the Lord's doing in my heart, now I pray. And prayer is all about just simply having a conversation with God. And you've been talking about that for the last four weeks. And if you didn't get to hear this last series that we were in here at Genesis, I'd encourage you to check it out through our website or you can pick up the CDs from the back counter. And as we talk about making time to read your Bible, I guess the second part of that appointment with God is I would challenge you to make time to pray. And if your prayers are only a minute long, let them be a minute long, but eventually you know, I think we'll see and discover how they become two minutes and three minutes and four minutes. And as we set this appointment with God to spend time with God, I think we'll truly experience the benefits of those minutes with Him. Prayer is a conversation with God. And so talk to Him about what's on your mind. I write these things down. Uh, thank Him for how He's providing for you. Uh, tell Him what you're afraid of or what you need. Uh, pray for the people around you and in your life. Say Amen and then go on with the rest of your day. See, here's the problem. I've got a hunch that so many of us make very little time for this. It's easy because life's a mess at times, and it's busy, and we've got so many things going on, and we're struggling to find our way through life because of it. And what we need to look to is we need to look to Jesus as our model. And where was Jesus over and over again? He was with His Father. He was always making time for His Father. Man, I just got to say, this, this message is so timely for me and so much of what God has been doing in my life for, well, quite some time now, but especially in this last month as He's just been teaching me over and over again that there is no substitute, that there is nothing as satisfying as my relationship with God. And, and my time with Him makes all of the difference, and He enables me and He empowers me to live my life for Him. And what He's doing in me, I know He's doing in many of you, and He wants for all of us. He wants that time with you because he's crazy about you and he loves you and that relationship is what is most important to him and so set an appointment with God and keep it and start tomorrow you know set that time for tomorrow take 15 minutes you know as you start your week and spend time with God each morning and again what I think you'll find is that it may start out or seem like a task to you but if you stick with it I think you're going to find that it will grow you and you're going to love it, and you're going to look forward to that time with Him. The third challenge quickly is to just celebrate with your church and making time for God, uh, making room for God. I want to remind you the importance of celebrating with your church to make attending services at Genesis a priority uh, for you and your family. Now, it's no coincidence that Sunday is the very first day of our week. I mean, it, in a way, it is a starting point for us. And I'm not saying that Sunday is any holier than any other day of the week, but for us as a church family, it marks a day when we can come together and celebrate the one who makes all the difference. Again, just keep reading in the Gospels and you'll see over and over again as you study the life of Jesus that he made it a priority to connect with others too, all right, and to, to connect with God because you and I, we weren't made to go through life alone. 
Right? And we're going to talk about this a little bit more uh, next week, that there is so much to gain together as individuals and as a church family each week. And so together, we have the opportunity when we get together on Sundays to celebrate what God's doing in our church uh, and in the lives of the people of this church. And it's not just for you, and it's not just for those who are currently at Genesis, but it's for those who are still coming. And so, again, here's my challenge. Uh, as you consider how you spend your time and how you take your time each week, especially as we get started into a busy school year, uh, I want to challenge you to make celebration services at Genesis a priority uh, for you as an individual, for you as a couple or as a family. Uh, and maybe accept it as a challenge for the next four weeks of this series. You know what? We're going to be here every week of this series. And when you come, come prepared. Come expecting. Come expecting God to do some great things and to be encouraged by Him and to be encouraged by others. And, and if you're new to all of this and still considering what it might mean for you to be in a relationship with Jesus, keep coming. Keep listening. Keep asking. And let God do something extraordinary in your life. And so attend worship each week. Uh, set an appointment with God, even 15 minutes a day, and keep it. But ultimately... Here's what God has in mind for us and for your life and in my life and in your relationship with Him. Uh, it's number four in your notes. Set your sights on surrendering every moment of your day to God. Every moment of your day to God. I mean, God wants more than an hour or two of your time on Sundays. He wants more than 15 minutes of your day. The key to making room for life is allowing God to have control of the other 23 hours and 45 minutes of your life too. That's a life that works. Right, that's a life of meaning and significance. That's a life where we discover joy and we start living our lives fully for Him. Uh, C.S. Lewis was a professor and a writer who came to faith later on in life after a long personal search, and he says it like this. He says, Christ says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. He says, I want you. And that's why the real problem, he writes, of the Christian life comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All of your hopes and fears for the day rush at you like wild animals, and the first job each morning consists in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And then he adds the part that I think so many of us miss and know nothing of but so need to. And he says, and so all day long. All day long. God wants all of you, and He wants all of me, and He wants all of our thoughts, and He wants all of our joys, and our worries, and our ups, and our downs. He's after every bit of you, and so do something about it. Respond to Him today. And don't walk out of here without, you know, making a commitment to do something different in your life. Take a step in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Make Him your priority. Set an appointment and enjoy your time with Him each week. Uh, celebrate with Jesus each Sunday, you know, with Genesis Church. And, and as you do these things and as you experience God in new and greater ways, what I most want you to see and discover is to remember, number five, how God feels about you. To daily be reminded of what He thinks of you and what He's done for you in Jesus. See, the key to the Christian life is to continually be reminded of what God has done for us in Jesus, of what He's accomplished, and, and it's remembering that He loves you, and if any part of you today would look at something like this and wonder what difference does it make, or, or maybe you're stuck 
uh, in your life right now. Maybe you're drowning today in your own guilt to remember how He feels about you and what He thinks of you and that He loves you and that He chose you. Uh, It's kind of like the verses we looked at just a moment ago, again in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where Paul reminds us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is so important, it may be so important for you today, and not from yourselves. It's not by works. We don't do these things so that He will love us. He loves us, and so we respond, and we want, and we desire to do these things. And He says, so that no one can boast. See, it's His grace that saved me. His grace that saved you, and He loves me, and He loves you, and He gave up His Son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus came, and He gave His life and satisfied the penalty of our sin and made a way to salvation. And He made a way so that you and I can have a relationship with God. My prayer is that you'll take hold of that today, that you'll say that in your life and right now and with whatever adjustments that you need to make, that Jesus comes first that my relationship with God is the most important thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that truth that it is by grace that we've been saved. And not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. And the gift that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And and it's not by works, so none of us can boast, Lord, but... We thank you that you love us, that you love us more than we can imagine. And and what I pray right now is that even as we leave here in just a moment, that it would be our desire to take a step to do something to grow closer to you. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in the busyness. I pray that you would meet us in our fears. I pray that you would meet us in our confusion, Lord, and you would keep drawing us in. And that we would experience it and love it and desire it and crave it each day. And we thank you for the vision that you've given for our lives, and that is to live our lives to the fullest for the name of Jesus and for your glory, Lord. And and so I pray, I just pray that we would respond with that today and respond to the cross and respond to that love as we seek more and more of you. Thank you for desiring us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.